0: Welcome back to Long Ball Football, a weekly podcast by two English brothers about all things Premier Liga. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother,
1: Barney. Uh, How are you doing, Barney? How's your week been? Yeah, it's been good. I've actually discovered um, there's a high street near me, which I I haven't been going down too often recently with COVID and all that, but I went down the other day and there's a a little Portuguese-Brazilian shop just opened. Oh, nice. and the best thing is they've got crates of Superbok, which I've never been able to find anywhere. <laughs> nice. Um, I mean, you see Superbok popping up every now and again in like supermarkets, but it, for me, it's quite rare. And man, when you're watching like the, do you know, you know when you've got the p- press conferences for the league yeah. and they've got like a, a bottle of Coke and a bottle of Superbok, either side of the manager, like either side of the microphone. Ah. I, ju- I just seem so funny. Like you would never get that in England with a little bottle of beer. <laughs> yeah, they banned alcohol advertising a long time ago in England. But yeah, every time I see that, I just get thirsty for a Superbok. I, I I love it so much. You're not going to crack one open for the podcast. <laughs> well, I, I, I need to get some in. Um, <laughs> but I'm of, I'm I'm slightly biased because I've, I've only ever been to Porto, so I wouldn't buy Sagres and I wouldn't buy um yes. What's the other one? that is it called Coral or something I'm like that? I'm not sure.
0: I, the, one I know, the one I know is Shagreds, yeah, uh, yeah,
1: from the Benfica kit. But no, I, I, I'm, for some reason, I'm lot to Superbuck for no particular reason. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very
0: good. Man. I'm very good. I've just been spending the whole weekend watching the uh, Snooker Masters. I think this is going to have no cultural reference for any either Portuguese football fan listening or a North American football fan. But uh, if you're interested in what Snooker is, It's a bit like football, except played by old men in pubs uh, standing still. So... (laughs) That's a lot like, more balls. <laughs> a lot more balls. That's the best I can come up with. But yeah, we did get a chance to watch a lot of football, Barney. Obviously, there was one of the biggest games of the season, Porto versus Benfica. Uh, the first classic in the league that we've watched, obviously. We watched the Super Cup a few weeks ago. Important games between Sporting and Rio Ave. Uh, So a lot of good games to talk about. We'll be talking about those later. Uh, we'll also be doing a little mid-window roundup of the January transfer window so far. Just speaking about some of the transfer that's happened in the last uh, week or so. Uh, But we're going to start off with some of the news that we've spotted. And the first story that I wanted to talk to you about, Barney, the first one that caught my eye this week, was about Lazio paying uh, 11 million euros for the signing of Pedro Neto to Sporting. Uh, The only problem with that
1: being that he never played for Sporting and the money was meant to go to Braga. <laughs> I, this is a brilliant story. Because first of all, I've, I've read quite a few articles about this because it's very, very confusing. I, <laughs> this is this is my take. So to my understanding, Lazio have come out and say, oh, look, we've paid Sporting Lisbon 11 million by mistake. The but then Braga said, well, we've received this money anyway. And then Sporting have released their accounts and there's no record of them getting this money. But I've got a feeling that someone would have just like... Get that hidden, get that away. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's taken an £11 million hit. (laughs) I
0: mean, the quotes are funny. I'm just reading this from the Guardian website. Uh, You can go and read this back if you want to. So it says, Lazio have said their financial department mistakenly listed two payments worth €11 million uh, for Pedro Neto to Sporting Lisbon rather than Sporting Braga because, and this is a quote, they were deceived by the similar names of the clubs. I mean, I'm not going to hammer anyone because we struggle with some of the Portuguese club names but I think I know the difference between Sporting and Braga
1: it was, it's a bit like because it's Sporting Club isn't it is that yeah Sporting Club to Portugal yeah yeah so like it'd be, it'd be a bit like saying I got confused because it's FC and you or something like that or like FC
0: <laughs> <laughs> well you can it's... see maybe, maybe you can see someone playing Manchester United instead of Manchester City it's possibly not not too far-fetched but yeah the only thing I want to know is you know
1: Sporting I've obviously kept quiet about this But are are they going to have to cough up? Because like 10 million euros is not... A small amount of money like particularly if they're looking to do business in this transfer market you know we know they haven't got the biggest finances but if they're suddenly able to get Paulino transferred over the line we know why (laughs) that would have been lovely wouldn't it (laughs) Braga out of pocket and then they buy Paulino with the money that was owed to Braga
0: (laughs) well just slightly more uh, slightly more serious news there was one game that we were meant to be watching this week Barney we were both quite excited to watch it and that was Vittoria Game Rice versus It's scheduled to be played on Saturday evening Uh, At six o'clock, the game was initially postponed because of uh, an icy pitch, quite low temperatures over there. Uh, It was postponed until the next day at six o'clock. turns into a bit of a farce, though, when we all turn up to watch the game on Sunday at 6pm and the game is cancelled yet again. There were some quite humorous scenes uh, on the live feed for the game. I think all the ball boys and girls were on the pitch, pretty much poking the ground with sticks to try and break up the ice. You had club officials, I don't know who they were, they might have been from the club shop or something, literally walking onto the pitch with buckets of hot water, just pouring water onto the pitch beforehand. The whole time, Ricardo Correggio was warming up, doing skills, entertaining the cameras. But at the end of the day, they've asked Forens to travel 150 miles to Guimarães twice, uh, and the game's now been postponed until... February the whole thing seems like a bit of a farce
1: yeah really disappointing I mean um, I know it's not exactly the same but we we recently had the FA Cup um, in England and there were stories of you know groundsmen camping out on the pitch overnight to ensure that there was no frost you know they set up tents Uh, Mm. I, I don't know if they've they've got the same uh, resources over there, but, you know, it seems to be a occurring thing where, like, it doesn't seem like people are checking the weather forecast, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, though, with these stadiums in Portugal, they're so exposed, aren't they? Mm. They're not the same sort of arenas we have here. They, you know, they're built completely different, and sometimes they've even got a running track around the edge, you know, and that just means they're at the mercy of the elements, I guess, doesn't it? It's, it must be incredibly hard to sort of keep that playing service ticking over. Uh, the thing I wonder now though is um for v- Toricom in a situation where they they're two games behind, aren't they essentially? Mm. Obviously that's going to muck up their scheduling which is already ridiculously tight. But not only that, but I I always think that as a team it's much harder to be chasing the points. So they've essentially got two games in hand now and they, you know, they know how many points they need to get to get above Pasos da Ferreira. And I think that pressure is now intensified because of this delay in the games. And it's not a great situation to be in, is it really?
0: It's not ideal. And to have your schedule marked up like that is not really a a laughing matter when you're trying to chase European football, potentially lucrative European places. I'm not sure though. It depends on the player, I suppose. Maybe there's something to be said for not wanting to be chasing the pack. But then I suppose having those games in hand could be a, a slight mental advantage as well. If you see teams above you, then knowing that you've got an opportunity to catch them, maybe that's motivational but but yeah whatever happens we'll be looking forward to watching this game when it does eventually happen uh in mid-february uh there was just one more new story that i wanted to bring up Barney. it's quite a nice one actually um we've talked about Edgar Davids three weeks in a row now because this concerns his team Oli and Enz. uh but fortunately this is not a story about him getting sent off uh, in his first game in charge it's a much nicer story his team Oli and Enz, played Esperance de Lagos uh in the Portuguese third tier at the weekend and it was the first uh, instance, I believe, in Portuguese football, of a white card being shown to, to a player. Now, a white card is an initiative brought into Portuguese football this summer to encourage fair play, essentially. So, it's not a uh, it's not a penalty. It's actually a positive reinforcement for the player. So, uh, in this game, the Olynyk's player felt like the football was deflated, so he. Picks up the ball during play, basically. The referee gives the free kick for handball, saying, you know, even if the ball is deflated, you have to kick it out of play. I don't know, whatever. Gives the free kick. And then uh, Lagos player goes to Teixeira. For the resulting free kick, just simply kicks it out for a goal kick, saying, you know, no harm intended, no harm done. And so, yeah, from that, the referee decides to give a white card to reward the player, I suppose. I I think the player definitely thought he was going to get booked. I mean, it's quite funny. You watch the footage back. The ref's got the red card in his other hand. So (laughs) I'm not sure what the player thought was happening. Uh, But, yeah, I
1: thought it was just nice to see uh, referees doing something positive. The video clip you sent me of this happening, it really confused me because, obviously, I've never seen a white card been given before. It doesn't really make sense, but then, like, I tried to understand it a bit more. And so... I think it's been around in Portugal for a few years. Now I think it's slowly been progressing from the sort of grassroots level upwards. They've been very keen to sort of implement this. And it's actually come out of research done by Bournemouth University over here in England, which has shown that using the right the white card to reward sportsmanship or fair play or whatever actually drastically reduces the amount of red and yellow cards being shown. So <laughs> Portugal have taken this up. I think been rolled out, you know, to be played this, taught at school level and stuff. But I wonder, you know, could they? Does this mean Portugal was sort of they could be breeding the fairest footballing generation the world has ever seen? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're gonna get, when you play Portugal, you get a really fair game. Well, it seems miles away <laughs> from what Jose Mourinho
0: wants from his players. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the one funny thing I thought I saw about this Bonnie was that apparently the first time it was trialed uh, was in an official game between Benfica and Sporting. Uh, The two has been rivals, so I don't think there was many white cards uh, shown in that game. (laughs) Right, Barney, well, let's talk football because we had... Possibly the biggest game of the season so far, a game we've been looking to for such a long time. Uh, the Portuguese Classico, Porto versus Benfica, the first time these two teams have met in the league this season. It was Porto in second place versus Benfica in third place. The game ended 1-1 in the end. Uh, not the most exciting scoreline on paper, but the game certainly was quite eventful. Uh, and a theme of my analysis of Benfica in this game, Barney, is going to be a phrase that people have heard me say time and time again in this podcast. And that is credit where it's due because let's be honest we haven't held back at times when it comes to criticising some teams some players managers and tactics that uh, we don't think are good enough Benfica are definitely one of those teams this season who we've possibly possibly criticised most of all not without warrant because they have underachieved and that might seem like a strange thing to say about a team sitting in the top three but I think it's fairly obvious that the players that they've got they have not been operating at 100% but as well as that we've also been the first to say when a team or a player uh, or anything we previously criticised has improved. And for me, Benfica in this game were greatly improved uh, and in a number of ways. The first I want to pick up on uh, is George Jesus. Uh, we've gone on a lot about how we don't agree with his player selection, how we think he should be doing things differently. And when the lineup was announced and I saw Grimaldo playing left wing, uh, I don't think I was the only person thinking, what on earth is he doing? Also, picking Seferovic up front to start alongside Darwin uh, would have probably been an unpopular choice. Uh, but you have to say both of those choices improved the team. Grimaldo was much more productive uh, than Everton at left wing. Uh, and that productivity on the win was much more suited to somebody like Saferovic, who's much more of an aerial, aerial threat and seems to be in a better goal-scoring form than Valdsmeyer at the moment. Uh, and it's no coincidence, Barney, that that was where their goal came about, their first goal. Not just because Grimaldo scored, but because it came from Tavares on that left-hand side as well. He was involved. Darwin was involved drifting out onto the left-hand side. Nani was playing right back for Porto, and I think uh, a number
1: of Benfica players combined well on that side throughout the game to create chances. I was really happy when I saw this just to, for Hawkins used to do something a bit different, you know, something we haven't really seen him do before. And I thought it worked an absolute treat. I've I've rated both Grimaldo and Taveras. I thought their performances were fantastic. Interestingly, um, Grimaldo had the most key passes in this game, uh, and he put them in the second most amount of crosses. Second to Tavares. And so that, that worked really well for them. And you know, Everton's been playing on that left wing position most of the season. I think it's not that this simple, but just having a left footed player. But not only that for me, I think I think Grimaldo is whenever we've seen him, he's got fantastic technical ability. Um, I feel like he's able to play these really smart one-twos and tight spaces, and he is an attack-minded fullback. And I think he was really suited. You know, he had he did have Darwin Nunes drifting quite far left sometimes as well. And you could see Grimaldo's runs into the box sort of cutting in. I was, yeah, I really, really, I was really happy with this move and I think it really worked. Do you think it would be something they look to do again?
0: They definitely should look to do it again, especially if they're going to keep with this 4 4 2 formation. I think Grimaldo playing on the left wing in a 4 4 2 is much better than Everton playing on the left on a 4 4 2. And it's a difficult one to talk about, Barney, because I think it was justified to drop Everton. I don't think he's played well enough this season uh, to justify his place, which I feel awkward saying because I'm not trying to criticize him as a player I think he's a great player and I've said before that I think he's not been played to the best of his abilities but if they're not going to play him in the position that he's going to perform best and they shouldn't really play him at all and I think Grimaldo was just better than him
1: in that position. The most glaring obvious thing for me was just how Benfica took the game to Porto. You know, there was obviously no know, fans in the stadium, but Porto were the home, home team for this one. But Benfica were just—I don't know—it was such a different performance from when we saw in the Super Cup. I mean, they had more shots, they had more possession, better pass accuracy, more tackles, they won more aerials, and I actually feel they probably would be a little disappointed with the draw here. What you could clearly see as the game was progressing is that Porto did not like being pressed, harassed. You know, this is the the least amount of possession Porto have had all season. It's only when they played Manchester City that they've had less possession. Um, and you could see this, you know, I thought uh, Sergio Oliveira was desperately trying to slow the game down. You know, he was going down. He got, got quite a few thousand, by the way, but he was going down all the time. Mm. Um, and you could see he just, they just didn't like the pace, Porto, I feel. They didn't like the, just simply the aggression that Benfica were playing with.
0: I don't think they were expecting it, Barney. I mean, you compare it to that game against Manchester City where they didn't have the position. And I think such a big difference between those two games is the mindset. Going into that game against Manchester City, they would have almost had that respect for Manchester City. They would have understood that they're coming up against a team with arguably better players and therefore they need to defend more. Whereas in this game, I don't think Porto would have predicted how Benfica were going to play. And I don't think the mentality in that Porto dressing room would have been about wanting to give Benfica respect. The Porto mentality surely would have been about going and winning the games for themselves. So I think when they weren't able to do that, I think they were quite shocked in a way and then they weren't really able to get into the game. That's the whole thing that I took from Porto's performance in this game was that they just never got into the game. And that was to Benfica's credit more than to Porto's detriment.
1: I think we should probably move on to the... the the red card that happened because that ultimately killed the game in terms of Porto looking to get a winner. It was a red card for me. I don't know if it was for you. Definitely 100%. Yeah, bad foul. Porto were smart to sort of go for holding on to the points. That was the right thing to do at that point. I don't think they could have done anything else. I saw a few people talking about this. I'm not sure if I agree, but do you think Pizzi should have got a red card for kicking the ball at Sergio Oliveira, or even just get a second yellow? Because he, he committed six fouls in this game, I think, the most on the pitch.
0: I mean, we've seen him again, haven't we? Uh, and there's no doubt that it was a petulant act and not the sort of thing that an experienced Benfica player should be doing in such a big game like this. I suppose then it just comes down to opinion about whether you think that type of act is a red card or not. Maybe it shouldn't be, but I think the second point you made is very apt. Maybe he should have had two yellow cards in the game. I think the one thing you could say is that maybe Benfica was slightly lucky with some of their decisions for them. I think maybe they could have had one or two more cards than they got. That said, the Toremi foul was ridiculous. I don't know what he was thinking totally unnecessary foul he's let his team down there they went they played quite well at 10 men but then it's just it's so much harder to get into the game when you've got that that player less especially especially in an attacking sense
1: I think they were missing a Albert he's out with uh, he's tested positive with Covid I think they missed him and you know just sort of I feel like he's quite a he's better at holding on to the ball I just felt like they were just getting dispossessed so quickly I didn't think Luis Diaz had a very good game he was quite quiet he had one chance he maybe should have done a bit better with.
0: He's a bit rusty, though, presumably, Barney, because he's not played. He's not got the minutes under his belt.
1: No, but he has featured a fair bit this season. I mean, I also think Corona, as you touched on at the beginning, I think on that right-hand side, Benfica played it so well and managed to keep him, him and Nani quiet. I guess this moves me on to the benches, which I wanted to ask you about, because it's essentially quite a finely balanced game, most of it, you know, even though Benfica were perhaps performing better, you know, you could see Porto nicking a goal here. And so at that point, I wonder if, you know, the manager would be looking to the bench just to change things up, perhaps, maybe give them a little edge. But when you looked at it, and when, when I thought about who Porto could bring on compared to Benfica, I just feel like there was a real difference in these two benches.
0: I think Benfica have more players on the bench who can come on and change the game maybe change the system or add that energy. You think about players like Pedrinho uh, or even Waldschmidt. I mean, I know he's not in great form at the moment, but they've got those attacking flair players, creative players who could unlock a door. I mean, I'm not sure who's on the bench uh, for Porto, especially with them missing players through uh, COVID infections, as you said, but a player like Tony Martinez or Evan Nilsson, they're not the sort of players who I think are going to come on and change a game, especially when you need that injection of energy.
1: I feel like Jorge Azuz is rotated quite a lot. He's used a lot of these players, given them like starting spots sometimes. Whereas Conscious Sal, I feel like he doesn't quite trust the players on his bench as much, you know, to provide. I, I wrote down Philippe Anderson as well. I mean, he's key. He's probably going to go back, but hmm. Diaz and Krohn on the wings were sort of trying to get past the wing putting crosses in and not really having much joy. Whereas Anderson could come on, you know, we know Philippe Anderson can, you know, create chances, slip a ball through the gap. Um, and it's could have been the perfect substitution to make to sort of supply uh, Marega and Terrain, because they weren't really getting much service.
0: I think the player that they needed to bring on was just a player that they didn't have though, Barney. Because if you look at that one weakness that that Benfica team has, it's their defence and then specifically the lack of mobility at central defence. I think what you would really want is just that fast attacking striking player to come on and try and just run in behind Otamendi and vitonga because that's the thing that's going to test them. They can deal with headers every day of the week, but. The thing that's going to hurt them is someone running at them. They're really not going to enjoy that. But I don't see that player on the bench, except, well, maybe Philippe Anderson. but it it just seems like something's not going right there. So I don't think he's going to feature at all.
1: Uh, Did you see, um, apparently at the end of the game, uh, Jorge Zeus in the sort of the flash interview at the uh, post-match, he didn't know about the sporting result. And I think that was, you know... I I see that on the pitch. You know, they were so focused on this game. They would have been hurting from the Super Cup, I think. For me, they were the better team. And I I I thought it was a great game. I was really happy. How nice is it to talk positively about Benfica? It's just... (laughs) It feels like
0: it's been a long time. It feels like it's been a long
1: time. They started this
0: season so well and then they've really stuttered and started since then. So yeah, it's really nice to talk about them positively. Well, you've just alluded, Barney, to one of the most important aspects of this game and that's the result and where it leaves this team in the table because it was only a point each uh, for Porto and Benfica in a game where they both really would have wanted an opportunity to gain some ground over their opponent. And that was made even more pertinent by the earlier result between Rio Ave and Sporting a game which ended 1-1. A game which you have to say will be points dropped for Sporting and then would have been an even better opportunity for either Benfica or Porto to gain that ground onto first place. But it's been a very difficult week uh, for Sporting Barney. They had a very good result in their last league game. Uh, last weekend winning 2 nil against CD Nacional in very, very difficult conditions uh, but in the week they lost 2-0 to Maritimo in the tassa de Portugal and on Friday in the game preceding the classical they only managed a 1-1 draw against Rio Alpha side, experiencing the early signs of a resurgence and with everything that transpired between Benfica and Porto, I think you have to put this one down as a missed opportunity
1: I was disappointed that they drew but I also feel that this was sort of coming and building even with the loss of Maritimo they were there was a few changes to the team. We know how almost reliant they are on their first 11 uh, to get results. And the, the performances weren't as good as they perhaps could have been. Well,
0: they were obviously missing a few players for this game, weren't they, Barney? I mean, they had Platter playing left wing back, who really didn't look very comfortable. Their had Borgia at left centre-back, who didn't look very convincing at all. To be fair, I thought Koresma, the other young player who came in at centre-back, had a, had a decent game. He looked quite promising. But it was those two youngsters playing on the left-hand side, getting into a bit of a mess that caused Sporting their problems in this game.
1: Not only at the back, but also going forward, they just didn't seem to be able to create as many opportunities as they would like. I think they only had four shots on target uh, this game, I and mean, one of those was, a, I think, a 30 yard shot from Perdini that wasn't causing any trouble. They were just quite slow, weren't they? They played and they even played quite deep. Um, I think Krozma had the most touches in this game, you know, surprisingly. I don't want to build on this narrative that might not necessarily be true, but I am starting to really wonder if, as soon as a couple of those players come out of that sporting team, they've got problems. And that's the last thing they want to do at this moment in time because, you know, like you said, they had a bad result in the cup against Maritima. They shouldn't have lost that game. And so you just don't want this to start building into sort of more problems.
0: We can speak about sporting in an attacking sense, Barney, because they did go ahead. It's fair to say that this game was not a classic. I mean, usually throughout these games, we're sort of texting, talking about what's going on uh, while the games are happening. I think in this game, uh, the only text I sent you in the first half was at the end, just a sleeping face emoji, which pretty much summed up (laughs) the whole mood of the game. They did get their first goal. I want to talk to you about Pedro Gonçalves because he was the goal scorer. uh, And he was the man that you expected to score a goal. But correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember many other contributions from Pedro Gonçalves apart from what was quite a fortunate tap in in this game and it's not the first time I've thought that about him obviously it's undeniable the goals that he's scored and we've seen him play fantastically well uh, and run games but recently not only are they missing players but for me he's not contributing enough not as much as you would want your star man to be contributing
1: well the interesting thing that I took from this game about him was I mean his movement for that goal was sublime like Mm. That is such good movement. And it's, it's been a similar story for some of his other goals this season. You know, it's he just picks his moment perfectly. And he's a very efficient player, as we've touched on in terms of his goals to shots and target ratio. You know, he does like pick and choose his moments and is very effective in those moments. But yeah, I agree with you. It's He's not the sort of player that perhaps is going to influence this game, particularly in the sporting system, because he's sort of on the right hand side. Um, and I feel like the Xiao Mario and Palina sort of he's not found that often by them, I feel, but looking at Ria Ave and how they dealt with him and even Pedro Paul on that right-hand side, um, it was a smart move for It looked like he was starting left wing, uh, but then almost like a couple of minutes in it's if he, like he was suddenly playing left back, um, mm. And, I, want, you know, it could be that he had to track Pedro Porro for a sprint and was like, fuck that, I'm starting further back. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing this little game. But it worked really well. I think his experience showed. I think he has had good fight in him. Um, wasn't really caught out that often. The main thing for me was Ave had a really impressive defensive performance. They haven't had the best defense this season. I mean, before the game, you know, you've got Sporting Lisbon with the best defense in the league. Coming up against Riav, who have had like the fourth least shots per game uh, mm. this season. And so, you know, it was surprising that they got their goal. But yeah, they had uh, Guga come into the midfield. Uh, they just time for Family Cow. I thought he looked good. Um, it, it was bounced in the midfield quite well. It sort of left Giraldas, Dalla, uh, Gabriolino and uh, Mane to sort of go at it and attack. You look at the ex-sporting boys, some of the passage of play between them was just really nice. And something that you don't really see, Uh, with Sporting Lisbon sort of that flowing football progressing from midfield to attack I feel like they're a bit more direct if you know what I mean I Mm. I don't know if you agree on that
0: No I see what you're saying I think it's just important to say that Rio did have a really good game against Sporting because we were really interested to watch this one they've started to play really well they're a team we like they've got players we like and it would have been easy for them to let their heads drop especially after going 1-0 down Uh, in the first half but they didn't and they just kept playing their game kept playing their football kept trying to unlock the defence find that key pass and in the end it paid off for them I think against uh, worse teams than Sporting they'll do very well this season but we're going to stick with the top end of the table for our next game, Barney and it was another interesting game over the weekend uh, and one very easy to overlook of all the big free action that took place passes to Ferreira versus Braga two teams in great form two teams we really enjoyed watching this season sitting in fourth and fifth place before the game began uh, and it was Passos who closed the gap on four place with Braga down to two points with a 2-0 win. And I really couldn't have predicted this one in advance by because it was a close game at times. Uh, but Passos just the better team on the day for me
1: they've built up a bit of momentum uh, Passos they've strung together a few good performances um, and I really feel like Peppers put a really good team together they're starting to perform in these big games you know they've already beaten Porto this season you know uh, against Braga as well they've only won one in their last five meetings uh, and the last two matches Braga won 4-1 5-1 one, one, you know heavy heavy defeats but it was the midfield you know we've talked about Estaquio and um I always shout at the RB when he gets on the last ten minutes, mm. uh, but it was the other two players I wanted to talk about. Bruno Costa, first of all, he took his goal so well. That was a beautiful finish. I thought he, when he cut inside, I thought he hit it too far in. You know, I thought he it, it was. Mm. He was always had his back to goal, and he just managed to find the bottom corner. And that was that was gorgeous. And then Luis Carlos, you know, he's thirty five years old. And the energy he showed in this game, you know, it was up and down the pitch the whole game. Um, he got the assist for Bruno Costa's goal. Uh, I, I It's just a strong team, I think, front to back. You know, we, we know about Douglas Tank. Um, we've praised at the winger a few times He got their second goal. But, you know, Jordi, their goalkeeper, he, he's up to five clean sheets this season. He's got a good defence ahead of him. Um, Fernando Fonseca, their right back. I've seen a few times this season he's caught my eye. I think he's I've liked the look of him. He gave me the impression of like a, an experienced Portuguese right back who's been in this league for you know 10 years or so. Nice. He's only 20, he's only 23 years old, man. It just looks really accomplished. It was quite a tight game, I think. It just happened to go passes this way, I feel.
0: I feel like it was down to Passos taking their chances, and that's why I was also so impressed with Bruno Costa because we've been watching him for quite a while now, Barney, and I think he's he's worth spending a little bit of time over because he's been a standout player for them. They're one of the best teams so far in the league this season. A little number 10, tricky player, uh, good movement, good vision. But the thing I liked about his goal, Barney, was that it was a goal from nothing you know, and it was completely made by him. He's on the edge of the box. There's no real shot on, but he just, a little bit of magic, just manages to find that shot that finds the bottom corner. Uh, And that's just what his team needed. I mean, the second goal was less of a thing of beauty. It was a bit of a mess that took about three chances to get over the line, Uh, but they all count. And, I think it was definitely just a case of Passos taking their chances when Braga didn't. I mean, let's talk about Braga for a moment, Barney. And you can tell me your thoughts on what you put this loss down to. Because for me, I think they really struggled up front to create and convert chances.
1: Yeah, that was definitely there. I mean, so Abel Ruiz came in, he started up top. I think Paulinho out of an injury. I'm not sure when he's due back. And his position seemed quite fluid with Ricardo Horta. You know, he was coming in deep. He wasn't really sort of just staying central. Um, and I was disappointed with Abel Ruiz, it just never got excited by him in this game.
0: Yeah, I think they're really struggling without Paulino. It might seem too simple to say, but it is a big deal. Like you, I haven't been convinced by either Schettin or Abel Ruiz. I think, you know, the elephant in the room here is that while Paulino is technically out injured, I think he's also expected to leave at some point, whether it's in January to Sporting or in the summer. So I think it just poses a really tough question for Braga about what they're going to do about playing without him. Because at the moment, I think... There was the kind of hope that if he left one of Schettin or Abel Ruiz would be able to step up. But at the moment, that's not going to be possible. So perhaps they'll have to look at bringing somebody in. But they have really struggled without Paulinho. And uh, they've worked so hard to get into fourth place that you worry if Paulinho is spending more time out on their Performances are not going to pick up that they could be there for the taking by a team like Passos. Well, we spent a lot of time in this podcast talking about the teams at the top end of the table, Barney. So we're going to touch on one game that happened uh, towards the lower end of the table. And that was Boa Vista versus Tondela. A game between two teams, of course, trying to put points on the board. Bovis are desperately trying to get points on the board, but I think it's safe to say things didn't go their way this game.
1: No, it was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, so essentially Bovis get their two centre backs sent off within the first half hour. I mean if you're Cesaro Ferrer, you know, you've just you've just come in, you're trying to turn things around, build on this okay draw at Santa Clara and then you know you're doing a halftime team talk to nine men, you know, like
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're starting to think maybe things are not going your way.
1: <laughs> well look I, I wanted to look at the two red cards because so the first one was a sort of accidental trip by Devonish on Mario Gonzalez, who was who was through and goal. Though personally, I think the keeper was going to get there, but that was just outside the box. So there was a free kick, but the referee deemed it. Last man and gave him a red card. Second one, I feel like he did pull Mario's shirt in the box, and that ended in a penalty and a red card. And for me, instinctively, I thought this was an absolute disgrace. I thought, you know, <laughs> I really mean this because. You know, I feel like the rules have changed recently, haven't they? Where a red card was deemed to excesses for fouling the last man or denying a goal score opportunity. I mean, um, especially if a penalty is awarded. I was of the understanding. Referees are being told not to... If, if a penalty is being rewarded, you're not supposed to reward a red, red card.
0: My understanding was that even if it was the last man, if there was a genuine attempt to win the ball in a challenge, then that would be a yellow card. But I don't think the first... Uh, incident falls under that because he just trips him from behind so I don't think that's a genuine attempt to make the ball so I can understand the red card on that one but the second one for me Barney not only do I not think it's a red card, I'm not convinced it was a foul. The touch on his shoulder is so minimal. And even the way that he falls is just so like, like you know, nothing really even happens. That
1: Well, Maria would have just known that the red likes to give a red card. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> we, we talk about the benfica a Porter game earlier. Imagine if this ref was in charge of that game. You know, how many players would still be on the pitch? I mean, we've got to give some credit to Tondela. You know, it's a good one for them. Puts it up in 10th. the same points as Real Maritima, and Santa Clara. I'm just so worried for Bovista. this is just not particularly the two centre-backs that he's been trying to build that partnership for a while them two have been starting for regularly for uh, quite a few weeks now and your next game you're missing them it's just an absolute nightmare situation
0: well I'll tell you what let's just talk about this game seriously for a moment because the red cards basically killed the game after 30 minutes but but to take that to one side for a second this is a result that's really damaging for Bo Vista because we've, it leaves them rock bottom of the table and, and now as you say with their two centre-backs out you really really fear for where their momentum is going to come from how are they going to start building performances and how are they going to start putting points on the ball because it really seems like nothing is going their way
1: to be fair to them they kept it 1-0 for a while but then there was that like incident with them Albert Ellis just dilly dally with the ball in the box just you know he just needs to clear the ball and then you know he gets caught and possessed I get a goal no it's, it's really really worrying times about this
0: Well, as promised, we're going to do a little bit of a uh, mid-window transfer roundup for the January transfer window so far. A couple of episodes ago, we had a January transfer window special where we previewed what players might be moving and what teams might need. Uh, so with two weeks gone, we're going to look at some of the uh, recent transfers. There haven't been so many uh, show-stopping signings so far. I think Paulinho to Sporting is the kind of big transfer that people are talking about, but it's let to, yet to materialise. But one transfer that's gone under the radar, Barney, and has a very big fee attached to it, uh, is for Nakajima from Porto.
1: Yeah, so he's moved to Alain in the United Arab Emirates um, on loan. But I've read a couple of reports that there was an obligation to buy for 40 million euros. It's incredible. That's a huge amount, isn't it? And I think he had an 80 million buyout clause. So I'm not sure if Porto was able to sort of say, look, this is his buyout clause. If you're going to want him, you're going to have to stump up the money. It'd be a fantastic bit of business if they get even half of that because mm. I think they signed him for 22 and a half million originally. So they would be looking to make up as much money as they can back on him.
0: I mean, it's an incredible transfer fee for someone who is essentially a, a bench player for Porto. I mean, I don't know enough about Nakajima, unfortunately. I don't know what their hopes were for him when he signed. Uh, I didn't realise he was only 26. I thought he was about four or five years older than that. So clearly he's still got a bit of market value. But I mean, an eighty million release clause is... Seems incredible. And and to even get £40 million for him would be fantastic. Well, another interesting transfer that I wanted to pick up, Barney, was uh, Lucas Piazon to Braga. He joined Braga as a free agent. Uh, And on the face of it, this is a pretty standard transfer. He was a rotation player at Rio Ave and he moves to Braga to work under Carlos Cavalier, who obviously knows him from when he managed Rio Ave. Uh, You imagine he'll be mainly a bench player for Braga, coming on, getting a few minutes here and there. But this story just stood out for me, Barney, because before he signed for Braga, and this is an incredible fact. He was technically Chelsea's longest-serving player, having joined in 2011. I just find that stat incredible. Uh, I mean, I remember the first time I heard about Lucas Piazon. I think I was still in secondary school. I was in year 10, sitting on the tube on a school trip with my mate who was a Chelsea fan. And he turned to me, and we were talking about Chelsea, and he said, Chelsea have just signed the new Kaka. And he was talking about Lucas Piazon. Now, obviously, (laughs) it hasn't quite quite turned out that way. Uh, But he's an interesting one, because I can't help but feel he's a victim of Chelsea's notorious loans policy where they just have 10, 20, 30 young players on their books. who so they just, I don't think they do it so much anymore, but notoriously in the last five years or so, they've had a lot of players on their books who just get routinely loaned out. And I think it's a of financial benefit to Chelsea more than anything else. So an interesting move, a player we haven't seen much of a player who hasn't exactly lit up the league, but you know, I'm, I'm pleased for him that he's found a permanent move to Braga. He knows where his home is now. You know, he's got a manager who clearly believes in him. So, fair play to him all the best
1: yeah I think that's the important thing is that Carlos Carvajal link and the fact that he's worked with him before I'm I'm a little excited by it. I I wonder if rather than a rotation player I wonder if he can actually try and force his way into that starting 11 I know we haven't quite seen that that quality of performance from him this season that we have but then you know it was a change of manager He might not have been their choice you know they could have had it in the back of their mind that he'll be moving on at the end of the season whatever I think there is a spot in that Baraga team for him, potentially, perhaps on that right-hand side where he likes to play and in, cut-in. Yeah, I, I really want him to do well, man. It would just be a fairy tale story, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: think, I think we've both got a bit of a soft spot for Lucas. So Lucas, if you're listening, good luck to you, mate. We wish you all the best. I want to talk about Family Cow now, Barney. They've had a fantastic season last year. They almost qualified for Europe. They're one of the historically smallest teams uh, in the division. We did a whole team and focus feature on them. For episode 14, if you want to go back and listen to that. Uh, and they had a really big turnover of players in the summer. Uh, the most obvious ones being Pedro Gonzalez, of course, and Tony Martinez. Uh, and they've really struggled this season, they struggled for results. Uh, and at the beginning of the transfer window, they were in the bottom three in the league. Uh, they really needed some new ideas. They lost Ruben as one of their few bright sparks, to Vittoria. Uh, so things were really looking bleak, but they've made some huge moves in the transfer market. They've been the Premier League team most active. So far, they've signed six players. That's more than any other club. Uh, the most famous being Ruben Venagre on loan from Wolves. Uh, but they've also brought in some other players, Barney. Alexandra Guides, a, pl- a striker from Vittoria Guimaraes. He was part of that move that saw Lemares go the other way. Uh, Borja Krayev, a Bulgarian attacking midfielder somebody I don't know anything about but he comes in on loan from Micheland in Denmark he was previously on loan at Gil Vicente last season uh, and apparently looks a decent player then Heriberto Tavares a Portuguese winger on loan from Stad Brest Eva Rodriguez a free agent uh, in from Antwerp in Belgium and a young defensive midfielder from Uruguay called Manuel Ugote Barney these are six interesting signings. I don't know what you make of them
1: I'm quite interested by a few of these I'm um... Cry of the Bulgarian, you mentioned. He had quite a successful season at Gil Vicente uh, last season. He had eight goals. Uh, two of those were against Sporting and Porto. So, you know, those a good opposition. Um, the only thing that confuses me is why the uh, club didn't come for him in the summer. Because, you know, the, that's decent stats for a center attacking midfielder, Particularly playing for a club like Gil Vicente, who, uh, you know, aren't going to be banging tons of goals. So, yeah, I, I'm excited to see him a bit more. Hilberto Tavares from Brest, I... I think it's the best signing they've made I think he's going to complete he's going to fill in for where Lemire has, has uh, left um, he's had he came through at Sporting's Academy actually did a bit at Benfica's Academy as well and then had uh, good stints on loan at Morens and Boa Vista um, he's a regular starter for both those teams had decent goal assist return so yeah he's he's coming to restart his career I don't think he's been playing for Brest in France unfortunately he's tested positive for Covid so he's not going to be able to get on the pitch straight away but the last one you mentioned uh, the Uruguayan uh, Ugarte he's, he's 19 years old and he's grabbed the number 8 shirt which always excites me yes. um, I watched a, a welcome to Family Cal video a little compilation <laughs> um, <laughs> which you know it's, it's hard to gauge from those clips but what you did, what I did see in that, you know, he looks like a good tackler, good at breaking up play, um, but also a, a defensive midfielder who's good with the ball at his feet. Uh, another one of those midfielders I, I see myself in Albert. You know, a bit of a, <laughs> a it's got a bit of height, but still good in the ball. I think, however, this is a sign that they did in the summer which I think is proving now proving to be probably one of their best bit of business is uh, Jonathan Robert, a 21-year-old Brazilian from Caruso in Brazil. I think he got a penalty at the weekend and got them an important win, which they needed. And he's got four goals for the season. Now he really excites me as well. Like you said, we talked about this in when they're our team in focus a couple of podcasts ago, I've trust their young signing. There's clearly a model there and they've got a bit of money to back that sort of, scouting network I guess and uh, I'm, I'm excited for them for the rest of the season I don't think they'll be able to get up to the heights of where they were last season but they're definitely going in the right direction with some of these signings
0: Absolutely and like you just mentioned they were rewarded uh, in the week with their 2-1 win over Santa Clara a good win for them which takes them off the bomb at the table uh, and I just want to finish up this section Barley, with a bit of talk about Benfica uh, two bits of transfer news from them the first being the official signing of Lucas Verissimo 25 year old centre back from Santos or transfer I think we all knew it was going to happen for a little while. We were just waiting for it to be finalised and we'll have to wait and see how he plays before passing judgment because I don't think either of us have seen uh, any of him play really. But the one other little transfer I did want to pick up on uh, was Thomas Tavares, 19-year-old right back, uh, who had been on loan at Alavej, recalled from his loan spell after barely featuring for them. He's expected to go back out on loan in Portugal. I believe a transfer to Ferenz is imminent, if not announced already at the time of this podcast going out. But he's just such a talented player, Barney, and he's somebody I wanted to mention because I watched him play on his debut live in the Estadio de Luz. It was my uh, first time watching Benfica play live. They played in the Champions League against RB Leipzig. He made his debut that night at 18 years old, uh, and he looked fantastic. He had so much talent. He looked confident, tall, quick, strong. He had the desire to get up the pitch, uh, and I really thought he was a talented young player. So it was a shame for me to see him go out on loan and then potentially for his career to stutter so i hope he comes back uh does well loan in portugal and and we start seeing the best from him well before we wrap up this week's podcast it's just time to look ahead to this weekend's fixtures and this podcast goes out on a wednesday so we'll have missed some of the cup games that are happening uh on tuesday but on wednesday night you could catch benfica versus braga in the Tata de liga but all the premier league games are take this week are taking place uh on sunday a lot of games to pick from barney any of those stand out to you
1: I would definitely start at the three o'clock kickoff with Maritimo and Paso Ferreira. Uh, just with Maritimo improve, we talked about Paso loss already this this podcast, but you can't deny the improvement we've seen in Maritimo. They won 1-0 at the weekend, you know, good result. So that could be a little, a little stumbling block for Passos possibly.
0: Uh, I really like the manager as well, Barney. I think he's made a really positive impact on that Maritimo team. They were playing uh, under Lito Villegal before. A lot has been said about Lito Vidal having a negative style. Whether you subscribe to that train of thought or not, uh, is up to you. But definite uh, improvements that the new manager has made. I also saw a nice story this week about him uh, encouraging, you know, professional footballers and the like in Portugal to uh, donate ten percent of their salary to those in need at a difficult time. Uh, in the world this year. So, it's, you know, he seems like a very, very positive influence on that team on and off the pitch. Game I'm looking forward to at this bunch, Barney, Ferenz versus Porto uh, on the Sunday. Ferenz at home to Porto. It's gonna be a tough ask for Ferenz, but you never know. Plucky underdogs. You never know what could happen there.
1: I also look at that uh, Bovis, the sporting tie, because you know, like I mentioned earlier, if, if, if Sporting aren't having a bit of a blip, there's no, there's no better place to go this season than <laughs> Poa Vista to, try, to get a... almost <laughs> g- guaranteed win, <when? laughs> Get
0: your season back on track. <laughs> yeah. Well, as we said, the majority of games happening this week on a Sunday. Uh, and I don't think many of those are being televised in the UK. So we'll do our best to look into how you might be able to watch those games uh, and share them out on our Twitter. Uh, but that's all about all we've got time for this week on Long Ball Football. Me and Barney will be back next week discussing all of those games, uh, all the news and all the transfers from next week's Premier League action. If you're enjoying listening to the show, uh, why not give us a little review uh, on Apple Podcasts? All that type of stuff is very beneficial for a small podcast like ourselves trying to grow. Or if you're not on Apple Podcasts, you could send it to a mate who you think might enjoy it. We really do appreciate all the support. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can find us on Twitter at Longball Football uh, or you can email us at longballfootball at gmail.com but for now it just leaves us to say thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next
1: time see you next week